everyone. I'm Ashley. And I'm Justine. And, and we, we make, make up the Cutaways, Cutaways Podcast. We're watching the good, the bad, and the essentials of the romantic comedy genre. So far, we've fallen in love with Cary Grant, met up with our terrible friend, pal Joey, and had the desire to run our fingers through Patrick Dempsey's hair. Join our slumber party for your ears every other week. Brought to you in stereo from our blanket fort in Hollywood, California. You can find and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher. Our digital blanket fort can be found at thecutaways.com. If you are the social butterfly types, you can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Cutaways Podcast. Bye! had the song 39 stuck in my head for like a fucking week. 39's a great song. It's so good though. It's a good song. It's a really fucking uh, good song. For the past week, I have been doing but looking at just queen. Naked pictures of queen. No. Well, yes. Naked co- pictures of queen. Whose hand is that? I Whose hand that is it's it? Roger Taylor's, but I don't think it's that's not. how physics works. And his hands aren't that small. I refuse to believe he's a drummer with hands that small. Yeah. He's got a... Oh his hands are not that small. No. No, they, they probably are Those aren't. are lady hands. But also, like, so much fan art. So much <laughs> fan art. And I have fallen down a hole of queen fan art, and I love it. Like, some of it, even, like, the stuff where they are blatantly shipping Roger and Brian together. <laughs> but I want to see all this. It's you need to take me cute. down this hole with you. I will, I'll take you in this hole. Don't you worry. You're going to drag, drag me down this hole? You're drag down this hole real deep. Yeah. You need to pay the toll if you want to get <laughs> into this. Brian May and Roger Taylor hole. All right, good. All right, I I'm will here pay for that, it. I'll pay We're that here toll. for it. I'll pay that toll. All right, welcome to Rock Candy, <laughs> <laughs> your podcast where we talk music, stories, crazy shit, all the shit you want to know about music and your favorite bands. And this week's band is still Queen. Queen. Yeah. I've I've been loving this. I've been loving doing the notes and the research and everything. And I also love that a lot of this is just from memory. It makes so it a whole lot easier. It makes it so much easier. And I'm like, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> this like, is great. It's like when I did um the, when we did the Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah, thing, you were I was like, like yeah. oh I know all this. Burp 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 burp. burp. <laughs> I could just derp 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 all day because I already fucking know all of it. Just derping my way through this episode is <laughs> fine. Yeah, I derped my way through that episode. You derped real good. You derped real good. I derp real good. And yeah, I mean, the only problem is, though, too, is I then feel the pressure of being like, what if I get something wrong? Because there's so much that it is possible to get. I'm probably got a couple things wrong. Yeah. So now I'm like, oh, God, I don't want to fuck it up. (laughs) Well, I mean, I kind of did the same thing with the black metal episodes. I'm like, I already know this story, like back to front. But I compulsively have to check my facts. Well, black metal I, fans can be a little unforgiving. A little bit. A little bit. But for the most part, everybody's been super nice about it, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. great. I've gotten some awesome compliments on those episodes, and it makes me very proud. Yeah, honestly, guys, like, we love your compliments. We feed off them. It gives us energy. Give them. Give us your compliments. But also, I feed off of your negative comments, too, so that's fine. 
Like a fucking succubus on your negative comments. Like, oh man, yes, give them to me. I want to know give how much you hate me. me. I don't, don't do that. That was a lie. The lie detector determined that was a lie. <laughs> Maury's up in here now. Did its job. Good job. Good job, lie detector. Yeah. And this week for our brew of the episode, we are drinking Dragon Stout. I don't even know, like, <laughs> what brewery it came from. It just says know. product of Jamaica. Hold on. It says brewed and bottled by Denoyas and Geds Limited. I don't know. It's in Jamaica. And by the beach. sounds French, I guess. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. But it's actually pretty good. For a... Yeah. A stout from... Like, here's the thing. If you put the words Jamaica and stout together, I'm like, no, that's not going to be any good. The only... The only thing that makes sense is red stripe in Jamaica yeah. together. But no, this shit's good. They did a good job. Good job, Jamaica. Yeah, golf clap. You can get a golf clap for that. Hell yeah. And it's Dragon Stout because if you don't know, it's after the song off of the album The Game, which we will be talking about tonight. Mm-hmm. And it's called Dragon Attack. It was a Brian May song and it's real good. There you go. You know, Brian May really has written a lot of fantastic songs. And while he was in Queen, yes. Yes. But that's not for this episode. <laughs> we'll talk about that. We'll yeah, talk about his solo down stuff the later. That is down the road. And I can't wait to talk about that either. I just get really excited and happy to talk about Queen. <laughs> and I've been listening to the music and it's been great. It's been a great couple weeks for me, guys. 2019 has been starting off real good for me. <laughs> and I'm excited about it. And also, like, I already drank a beer and then looked at it and was like, oh, that's 7.5%. Ooh, whoops, that's a lot of alcohol in 20 minutes. I hope you ate dinner before you did this. I did. I ate, Okay, good. I had potatoes. <laughs> Never enough potatoes. Never enough potatoes. Yes. Never enough Lord of the Rings. Never enough Queen. Never enough Queen. I mean, honestly, if you really love Queen, you probably love fantasy because these guys were fucking nerds. At least, man, the first two albums... Just packed full of fantasy shit. Yeah. Fairy this, ogre that, like, (laughs) you know, like, fuck off with your fantasy garbage, man. No, don't fuck off. No, keep it it coming. I'm kind of sad that they stopped with the fantasy stuff. I get that they were growing and they were, you know. Trying to, trying to. They they do leave their prog roots. But I mean, if you listen to every single album. Which I have multiple times. <laughs> um, they they will have at least one track that is, oh shit, this is still kind of fantasy. Oh, they never get rid of it completely. No. They never get rid of the fantasy completely. They never get rid of the prog completely either, even though their songs aren't like, you know, eight minutes long or anything. Right. There's definitely still elements of that in every album. Yeah, and that's kind of the fun thing about Queen is... Every album has something different, and it's a different sound, and it's yeah, like yeah. you have, and you can almost kind of pick out whose songs are whose. Oh yeah, no, I guess by the end of listening this fifth time through, I was like, oh yep, that's Roger. Oh yeah, that's John. That's Brian. Okay, yeah, like you can you can tell the patterns, you can tell what traits there are, and pick out their songs. You know, it is kind of like the Beatles. Kinda. Yeah, it definitely has Beatle elements to it. But honestly, I like Queen more than the Beatles. I do too. So sorry, Beatles. Sorry, be- sorry, not sorry. Sorry, Ringo. I'm not really. Sorry. I am sorry to Ringo. We're all sorry to Ringo. Ringo, we're sorry. Sorry. <laughs> all right. So let's 
dive back in to the story of our favorite quartet, Queen. Already three albums into their career, Queen wouldn't know how successful they could be until the release of their fourth album, A Night at the Opera. When the needle hits the record, the sound of a piano playing a building arpeggio lets you know that this band classed up a little bit. And one would almost be concerned until Brian May's heavy guitar comes in playing low, ominous chords. The listener could relax, knowing that this was still their same beloved queen. Death on Two Legs is one hell of a way to start an album. Yeah, for sure. God, just when A Night at the Opera starts, you're like, all right, let's fucking do this. Oh, they ain't playing around. They ain't playing around. (laughs) I'm here for it. (laughs) Jizz a lot for this album, guys. I'm sorry. I mentioned it in the last episode that at this point, Queen had just broken their partnership with Trident because they were flat broke despite their accomplishments. Well, leaving didn't actually make them any money, so when they went into the studio to record their next album, they were virtually penniless. That didn't stop them from making this one of the most expensive records made at the time. They were going to give this one everything that they had, because if this album wasn't successful, Queen would be over. Overall, this album was recorded over the span of four months in seven different studios. Which, if you think about it, is... Still kind of unheard of. Yeah. Oh, at that time, 100%. Four four months is like 40 years for recording. Seven studios? Seven studios? What are you doing? Why do you need seven seven studios? Is one not good enough for you? What's the deal with seven studios? Shut up, Jerry. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And they had to step up their multi-tracking game. Instead of the 16-track tapes that they had been using, they went up to 24. There are a few songs on this album where they created layered harmonies with the three singers. Brian was always the lower, Freddie was always the middle, and then Roger, of course, the highest of the high notes. Mm -hmm. And John will be the first to tell you he doesn't sing. John doesn't sing on things. He just doesn't. He's not a singer. He's not a singer. You'll see in some of the videos he's singing, he's not singing. He's just mouthing. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) John just mouths. He doesn't sing. Although apparently in the uh, Peter Hintz, My Life with Queen book, mm-hmm. he says sometimes they would fuck with him during sound checks and he would sing into the mic and they'd be like, no, it's not live. And then it'd be live. And he's like, fuck you guys. It's kind of cute. Oh, John. John Deacon <laughs> is a fun little man. He's delightful. He can take a joke. He really can. I'm, that makes me happy at least <laughs> that he can take a joke. A Night at the Opera had the boys bringing out all the stops. The songs range from hard rock to Dixieland to ballads. And with that comes a wide variety of instruments needed. Freddie did more than sing. He played the harp. He played acoustic guitar. And he played a toy koto, which is a Japanese string instrument. It's hmm. that one that sits in their lap. Yes. Or not always lap. Sometimes they put it on the floor and, you know, it makes mm-hmm. that really cool sound. Yep. But it was like a toy version of one that they got while they were traveling in Japan. That's cute. Yeah. One of the neat things to notice on the album is how each song is connected with a vignette between each track. It gives A Night at the Opera a flow that almost makes it like a concept album really unifying the whole album as one as opposed to track, track, track. Well, yeah, if you think about it, like, this is one record where you can definitely pick out what songs belong to who. Right. Like, you can tell a Roger song from a Freddie song from a Brian oh, song. We, we can sure. definitely tell a Roger song yes. for a certain reason. Yes, you definitely <laughs> can. But it needed something to unify it. Yeah. So that makes sense. And the sense. vignettes really work, though. It, yeah. When I play it on vinyl, because it's... Yeah, I'm that fucking guy who likes listening to it on vinyl. I am too. I get it. (laughs) 
But when I listen to it on vinyl, it's great because it's just one fucking song, basically. Yeah. But even when you don't do that, I can just, like, pull out each track when I'm on, like, just my phone. Mm-hmm. And it's still great. And as far as the name is concerned, they got that from a Marx Brothers film of the same title. They watched the film at some point during their month's recording and were really into these classic comedies. They fell in love with Marx Brothers movies. That's kind of funny. Right? It's really <laughs> cute. Just picture, like, these little British men be like, oh, but it's such... ain't this a good time, though? It's like... Kind of such a serious sounding record to be named after something so ridiculous. Right? Well, I don't know. The Marx Brothers were ridiculous, but they had a sense of class to them. I might be saying that because they're in black and white. (laughs) Three Stooges were in black and white, too. That doesn't make them classy. (laughs) I think the Three Stooges were quite classy. Actually, I think there were a couple Marx Brothers films that were in color. I think they, they were either in color or they were restored to color i don't remember yeah i don't know when i was a kid my dad watched them all the time listen, so listen to by me proxy. talking about like i fucking know the marx this isn't brothers a film podcast know. get the fuck out of here i've seen a fucking marx brothers we movie. don't review movies here get out of here <laughs> at this point i'm pretty sure it would be a crime not to talk about the song that has immortalized queen of course bohemian rhapsody it was freddie's brainchild a song that was years in the making he had three different songs that he was playing around with, but none had ever really grown into their own. So they turned into a combined effort. The beginning piano part of Mama, I Just Killed a Man was referred to as the cowboy song. And when he initially played it for <laughs> others, right? That's kind of funny. Right? They're all like, oh, it's like a cowboy. Mama just killed a man. I like never, ever thought of it that way. That's but once so you hear weird. it, you're like, that makes sense. I guess. I can see that. This is way classier than the cowboy. I could see, I could see the Brits thinking that's the cowboy song. Yeah. Okay. Don't through forget, the, they are British. Through the eyes of a Brit, yes. We're cowboys. I suppose that's a cowboy. <laughs> sure. A British cowboy. Momma just killed a man. <laughs> and when he initially played it for others, after he finished the piano part, he would famously state, and that's where the opera section comes in, <laughs> which everyone thought was a joke. Nope. No joke. With the help of vocals from Roger and Brian, he created 180 overdubs for the vocal. The tape... 180? Yes. Holy fuck. Yes. Just imagine... 180 fucking takes. But 180 different takes on analog recording. Yep. Oh, well, the tape... In 1970... Yeah. What? Four? Imagine that. Try. Just try. The tape was spliced, cut, and used so many times that it was transparent by the end. They would hold it up and be like, I can see through this. That's ridiculous. Right? Some young folk don't even know what the fuck we're talking about right now. For you young folk, (laughs) back in the day. You could rewind things and re-record over them. We basically had like the physical tape in which things were recorded upon. Yeah. That's how you used to listen to music. And then you would have to rewind it and then record over it. And then rewind it and record, and record over, over it. it. Usually you couldn't do that more than a few times without ruining your cassette tape. But Not that we would know from experience, no. but we totally knew from experience. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they would record for like 10 to 12 hours a day That's doing their insane. overdubs. Doing the same thing yeah. over and over and over 180 times. Yeah. I mean, honestly, in the film, which I do try to refrain from commenting on during this but they did have that scene pretty much accurate yeah except not enough times yeah (laughs) seriously they needed like another 20 minutes of that scene yeah the entire song was in freddie's head and recorded in six different studios so no one else had any idea what was going on 
And aside from Brian's first solo, Freddie wrote all the music. So each band member would play their part, but have no idea how it was going to sound in the finished product. That's kind of awesome, though, because in right. the end, it's a surprise to everybody. I got a surprise for everyone. <laughs> finished Bohemian Rhapsody. Get excited to go. listen. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, they're just Cockney now. My British accent quickly went to Cockney, and I'm sorry that I'm not better at this. Usually my British accent just devolves into a weird Southern American accent, so... <laughs> That's true. It I mean, just automatically turns into blush and bashful <laughs> immediately, so you're already doing better than me. <laughs> We're getting better, guys. The more we do terrible accents, the better we'll get. Or the worse, whatever. As far as the lyrics go, many have tried to decipher some inner meaning. On the outside, it looks like just a song about some guy killing another guy, selling a soul to the devil, but then finding redemption through God, like you do. Sure. But deeper explanations range from suicidal murderer to Freddie coming to terms with his sexuality. But I personally think Freddie was honestly being overdramatic in his lyrics and wanted to tell a fantasy story to the listener. He, This was his opera. Yeah, he was such a flamboyant, tongue-in-cheek man. He also was never covert about his messages. If you listen through all of his music, when he wants to send you a message, he's going to fucking do it. Yeah. So I don't think he was trying to be covert. I don't think that you're deep and meaningful trying to find some alternate meaning to Bohemian yeah. Rhapsody as, no, this is his crazy epic opera and he wanted to be as crazy and epic about it as he could. Yeah, so, and they're pretty crazy and epic lyrics. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I will I will give you when people say, you know, like with Galileo, Figaro, that section, he, like, people say it's supposed to be different members, members of the band and stuff. But I think he's just you saying random names because... It Isn't sounds Italian and fancy. Figaro is a op- is it's an opera. Is yeah. an opera. So or he's a character in an opera. Yeah. So <sighs> he just he's just saying opera? shit. I don't know, guys. We don't we we're not called opera candy. We're called rock candy. He's just saying words. Yeah, but it's and he's just having a good time with it. So I think it's funny when people really try hard to find a deeper meaning. I think the whole point of that section of the song is to make it as dramatic and operatic as possible as as much as a rock song can yeah and whatever words work to make it that dramatic yeah just put them in there who gives a shit if yeah. it makes sense it, yeah. if, it's not gonna make sense who cares? Give a shit. he's like this is a good it's time it's already for me. like an eight minute song well and like n- nobody is like expecting that so why not make it crazy yeah sure. balls out thank you yeah exactly <laughs> freddie win balls out thank you on that yeah he did I mean, like you said, well, the finished song was just shy of six minutes, an outlandish amount of time for any single in those days. And the execs at EMI told them that there was no way that was going to be a single. And even Elton John, who heard the song through the mutual manager, John Reed, thought they were off their damn rockers to try to put that out as a single. Hilarious that Elton really, John, Elton John, they're really? off their damn rockers. They're off their damn rockers. Okay. 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 Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. As he is standing, goodbye horses. As he's standing there the in same. his purple sequin bell-bottom suit with star <laughs> sunglasses. Yep, they're off the rockers. That's a little bit much, don't you think? <coughs> really, really, Ellen? really, Ellen? Really? Is it? Mm. All right. Please tell me more. <laughs> so the boys devised a plan. They went to their friend Kenny Everett, a Capital Radio DJ, with a reel-to-reel copy of the song to quote 
Just let him have a listen so long as he promises not to share with anyone else. Oh, that's like telling people not to think of polar bears. You're thinking of polar bears right now, right? Coca-Cola. Yeah. <laughs> the Don't DT- share it, but share it. Do it. The DJ agreed to the promise with a wink. And from there, went on to play the song 14 times over the weekend, (laughs) which was a lot. Yeah. It was an immediate hit, and soon people were going to the record stores asking for it, only to be told it wasn't even available yet. That's funny. Right? They were fucking like, yeah, I Well, that's it. also like a big middle finger to people who are like, this is ever going to be a single. single. Well, fuck oh, you, they it? do. And that didn't just happen in the UK, but the US as well. DJ Paul Drew heard it while he was in London, so he brought a copy back with him to the States and followed the same suit as Kenny. Just played it a bunch until it became a total jam on both sides of the Atlantic. There you go. Even America liked it. But as if that wasn't enough to get Bohemian Rhapsody notoriety, the promotional music video was sure to do the trick. The video was split between footage of the band looking exactly like their Queen 2 cover photo shoot and scenes of them performing it on stage. And unlike the song, the video took a minute to record. Okay, more like four hours. Which is nothing. Right? And it cost a total of 4,500 pounds, which, yes, sounds like nothing in today's money, but back then they weren't even doing anything like this, so it was unheard of. Yeah, videos weren't something that you really did Some back people then. would record videos, and I mean, yeah. if you want to say, like, Top of the Pops, you were kind of recording a video, it was just you performing live, but you could say that's you performing a video, making a video, But I guess. you didn't really make a video for promotional purposes only. Right, but they knew that this was the single, and they couldn't perform it on Top of the Pops, right. which is why they made this promotional video. But also, that video was the first introduction i had to what queen looked like oh yeah even though the first time i heard bohemian rhapsody was until like i was like three four maybe like mid 80s that was the first time i saw them and i'm like is that a lady is that a man (laughs) is that a bunch of long hair oh look at all those ladies the shiny leotard i like it i like them (laughs) why is a lady of a bulge (laughs) hairy chest but also i mean at that point i already knew what dudes with long hair and bulges were because I had seen <laughs> Labyrinth like a million oh. times at that point. <laughs> it was That's my favorite true. movie when yeah, I was you a kid. you David Bowie but you should be like, is that like David Bowie's brother? Yeah, like all of our introductions to male anatomy started with David Bowie in Labyrinth. That's fair. <laughs> Very much. Thank know, you, David Bowie. Mine was more like Tim Curry in Legend, but whatever. Oh, woof. <sighs> yeah. Still reminds me of a Glacier hot dog. <laughs> to this day (laughs) to this day every time i watch legend i'm like i want a hot dog (laughs) (laughs) anyway because of this video for bohemian rhapsody record companies began to make this the standard going forward so because of bohemian rhapsody we probably would have ended up with music videos anyway but this definitely kicked everybody's asses into order this is the 70s version of a kickstarter but you didn't have to pay any money you just got to enjoy the <laughs> you benefits. You don't have to pay any money for it. Yeah, you yeah. just get to watch it. And you are probably well aware, of course, of the huge musical and cultural impact of this song. It's still celebrated today and used as references throughout media. And a little trivia fact for funsies, as we all know it's in Wayne's World. Mm-hmm. Initially, the film creators wanted to use a Guns N' Roses song for the famous movie scene. Oh, no. Right? But Thank 
God, they did not. Thank God for Mike Myers, because he threatened to walk from the production if they did not use Bohemian Rhapsody. That's kind of awesome. Right? Like, thank God for Mike Myers, because you made that shit fucking come right back up into the charts. I remember. Yeah, it did chart after Wayne's World came yeah, out. Yeah, I remember right? it being played on the radio all the time. Oh, yeah. After that movie came out. Yeah. So, thanks, Wayne's World. Great fucking movie. Doesn't it's still doing good shit for everybody everywhere, and it still holds up. Still fucking holds up. The B side to the single was Rogers. I'm in love with my car. <laughs> a spot, a spot he did not earn easily. Oh man! Back in the day when you released a single, of course the writer of that single would get additional royalties, mm-hmm. and so would the writer of the B side. So hmm. that made the rest of the band pretty competitive in vying for their song to be the one that's chosen for the B-side. Okay. So John put in for his song, You're My Best Friend, a song that he wrote for his wife while he was learning the piano. Which is a fucking adorable song. It's an adorable also, song. a really popular single. Yeah, and fortunately for him, yeah, it became a single in its own right. Mm-hmm. So, worked out for him, still. So, and it became so it one was, of the, it's still a banger today. People still use it for everything. So it was up to Brian and Roger to vie for that B-side B spot. So Brian's choice was his song 39, which I fucking love. It's a pretty wonderfully folky type of tune about space explorers who embark on what was supposed to be a year-long journey that was actually a hundred years because of the time dilation effect in Einstein's special theory of relativity. You fucking nerd! <laughs> nerd! Ugh. But I love it. But also, it's a really great song. Because and honestly, when they come back, everyone they know is either dead or very old. Like, their grandkids are old people. This is really... He should have written this as a fucking novel. Space opera. Holy shit. Space opera. But also, you're a fucking nerd. And also, <laughs> this song is really good. And I'm surprised more people don't do uh, cover versions of it. And also, it could absolutely be a single for some, like, for, like, fucking... What's their names? Lumineers or something could do this song today and have a oh, hit. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, get on it, indie rock. What are you doing? But also don't do it because you're going to ruin it. I mean, probably, though. Fortunately, though, for Brian, it does become the B-side to You're My Best Friend. Good. So they both ended up... So everybody had something. Yes. Well, that's good. Because <laughs> do you wonder, how did Roger manage to get his song on the B-side to yeah, Freddy's? Yeah, because I'm sorry. This. <laughs> Out of all of our options here. How? I'm in love with my car is a good song. Like... Roger's voices peak in this. Absolutely. It's, it's a, it is a good song. Yes. But on the B-side to Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> wow, okay. I mean, I guess you had a really intense song with Bohemian Rhapsody, so you kind of needed something a little to, bit ridiculous. I would have put 39, but that's just me. Yeah. Or you're yeah. actually... No, <laughs> the point is... Roger locked himself in a cupboard and refused to come out until Freddie let him have the B-side. Oh, that's funny. Yep. I, oh, God. Again, I, I know I shouldn't rehash the movie, but I wish they fucking had that in the movie. I mean, they did a pretty good job, like, really razzing him a lot oh, in the yeah. movie about his stupidest song. Everyone's like, like, all of the mainstream people are like, yeah, I'm in love with my car. Whereas everybody who knows what's going on is like, no, man. No. What? No. What? No. No. He's like, he even got it on the record. Well, because, again, 
Freddie gets painted in being this prima donna light. Roger was kind of a prima donna too. He oh, had I his totally episodes. Yeah. So, you know. I mean, I kind of see Freddie and Roger as very similar kind yeah. of people. Which I think so, is why they got along so well is they right, both but, understood. But also why they probably clashed a lot. Because, oh, they butt heads. All of them butt heads all the time. Right. So. They were all a bunch of brothers fighting all the time. Exactly. So I can see them, you know, going up against each other a lot, even <laughs> insisting that they are both right when clearly one of them is very wrong. And I should take a minute to talk about Love of My Life. Freddie had written that song for Mary as they were still together at the time. That song would live on as a constant reminder for the deep bond that they shared. And even after they broke up a year later, Freddie would say that Mary was his soulmate and always want her near him. And she always plays this huge part in his life. He bought her a fucking house that was like down the road from his. So she can't be away from him. But now that they had split, he no longer had a girlfriend to show to people when they would throw out accusations about his sexuality. And unfortunately... That would become a distraction for the masses away from Queen's music. Hmm. So how'd they do? Did Queen finally make some money? Are they still in business? Fuck yeah, they are. A Night at the Opera topped the UK charts for four consecutive weeks and peaked at number four in the US and sold six million copies worldwide. At first, critical reception was mixed, but today it is regarded as Queen at the top of their game. It's dynamic and ambitious, but still has a sense of tongue-in-cheek humor to it. Which is kind of funny that, like, so early they're at the top of their game and then just kind of stayed like that. Yeah. Yeah, they really... They didn't stop. Don't, Don't stop them stop now. Me now. They're having such a good time. they're having such a good time. They're having a ball. They're having a ball. <laughs> As mentioned in the last episode, Freddie had a real talent for art, and that is on full display for both covers of A Night at the Opera and A Day at the Races. A few years earlier, Freddie created what is known as the Queen Crest, an image that they would use often. The crest consists of a queue with a crown in it, surrounded by creatures to represent each band member's zodiac sign. Oh my god! Uh A crab for Brian as a Cancer, two lions for Roger and John as Leos, and fairies for Freddy as a Virgo. That's and, adorable! And is all surrounded by a giant phoenix and is supposed to bear a resemblance to the royal coat of arms in the UK. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, absolutely. But yeah, it's really cute how he's like, I'm just going to throw all of our zodiac signs in here. Oh my God, that's so cute. Right? Again, it just makes me wish I could fucking draw. Their fifth album, A Day at the Races, was almost a sequel to A Night at the Opera, similar in their covers, as well as the use of a Marx Brothers title again. Of course. Yeah. And at that point, they actually became pretty friendly with Groucho Marx. What? He sent them a telegram, (laughs) joking that maybe the fact that their albums shared titles with his films was the reason for their successes. I'm sure that's it. He got it spot on. They even visited him at, visited him after its release to thank him in person and perform 39 acoustically for him. Oh, Right? That's cute. Yeah. And I think he died like six months later. Oh. So. Wow. But when, it's kind of sweet. When Queen performs for you. What else do you have? What else do you have to live for? I'm good. Yeah. I've seen it all. Can die happy now. I can die happy now. Queen approached this creation a bit differently. They relieved Roy Thomas Baker of his production duties so they could self-produce. And it wasn't out of any kind of malice. They just decided they knew how to do it, so they wanted to do it themselves. Makes sense. Yeah, that's that's very on brand for them. 
This is the album with the hit single, Somebody to Love, on it. It consists of the usual layered harmonies, but this time less apparatic and more like a gospel choir. Freddie was inspired by that music at the time and very much loved Aretha Franklin. That's adorable. Right? <laughs> I just picture Freddie being like, I love Aretha. She's wonderful. But Aretha. But Aretha. I want to be Aretha Franklin now. <laughs> God damn it. Freddie, I, I just, thought you wanted to be an opera singer. I'm over it. I want to be a I fucking just, Aretha Franklin. I just, I saw Blues Brothers one day and I just loved it. I was sold. <laughs> I was sold. I mean, yeah, I feel like kids of our generation would be like, I saw, Blue, I saw Blues Brothers. I was sold. Yeah. I was like, this is it. Yep. While Bohemian Rhapsody was an impressive feat for Freddie to create, he had stated that he really preferred somebody to love. He felt it was just a better song with a better structure, and he enjoyed it a lot more. It was probably his favorite of all of his songs. Somebody to Love? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a really, really good it's song. It's a cool fucking song. It's one of my karaoke fucking go-tos. Yeah. A Day at the Races did well commercially. Their success was getting quite noticeable at this point, especially on tour. They performed to large crowds and toured throughout many countries. They sold out MSG for multiple nights during this tour. And MSG's fucking huge. Yeah. So, like, good for you. And if that wasn't big enough, they performed a free concert in Hyde Park in London to a record-breaking 150,000 people. Woof. There There are aerial shots of this. It is insane. That is, like, my nightmare. Being in that crowd. Oh. I would hate it. I just get really drunk. I'm like, this is fine. I can't get out of here. It's just everywhere I go, it's people. This is fine. I'm just drunk. I'm going to deal with it. The final song on A Day at the Races is called Teo Toriate, Let Us Cling Together, which was written by Brian May as a tribute to their Japanese fans. In it, Freddie goes back and forth singing in English and Japanese. Hmm. During Queen's early days, they were blown away by Japan's love for them, especially when the rest of the world was just hitting lukewarm. So they felt the need to sing a nice tribute song to them. And it's a good song. Yeah. It's really nice. Like, they take inspiration from everything they experience. Mm -hmm. They're really a genuine band. So fuck you if you don't like Queen. Why are you still listening? (laughs) I don't think I know anybody that doesn't like Queen. I don't. Yeah. At this point, Queen had garnered so much success, they were selling records worldwide, touring all over, and had an abundance of fans. And despite this, the press still did not care for this ever-evolving quartet. Their manager, John Reed, was all too aware of this and told them they were not allowed to do any interviews unless he approved of them. The press was notoriously vicious about Queen, Wondering how they could be so confident when their genre of music was dying out to the current jam of the moment. Oh my god. Enter the punk movement. Ugh. It's your. It's our favorite. They're Seriously. so accepting <laughs> and friendly and just like, they really like everybody and even their own people. They're just so loving and accepting oh, the of. Punk, the punk movement? Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, they loved Queen. Oh, I can't Liz Lemon eye roll enough <laughs> over punk music. I'm sorry. No, you're no, not. I'm not sorry. Um, <laughs> no, I just, I, sh- I just sent you an article that I, that I found by The Atlantic 
which was oh yeah which was I fucking couldn't roll oh, i couldn't like throw my phone hard it was, enough it was from last year but it's it's more like an opinion piece about how prog rock is dead and has been dead forever and even when it was popular it was garbage and i'm like shut up guy from the atlantic i'm gonna stab this man he also <laughs> talks about st- how russell brand is a genius and also and he writes articles about how russell brand is a genius so clearly you can take everything he says <laughs> for seriously truth. oh yes, yeah definitely i'm like have, have you listened to any rock music in the last i don't know 25 years i don't give a shit maybe rush is 30 a great years. band but, don't you dare like, come for them or yeah i like yes i like you like all of these bands are great but also all of these bands are still influencing bands today and also Prague is not dead, you piece of shit. Um, except I do love Tool. Lateralis was a great oh. album. Let me tell you about the Fibonacci sequence. Let me mansplain this Fibonacci sequence to you, oh, see, please. I can't even say it. Oh, fuck off. All right, for those of you not in the know, in the mid-70s, punk was on everybody's mind. It's really when it birthed, kind of around that time. Yeah. It was the music to be listening to, which made bands like Queen seem like outdated elitists. Freddie especially got this treatment when being interviewed for the magazine NME. Ugh. I was waiting for that. (laughs) In the article, he talked about wanting to bring ballet to the masses and had no trouble throwing shade right back at the journalists interviewing him because he kept trying to, like, be like, oh, but don't you think you guys are really egotistical? And he's like, why shouldn't we be? We're really good. We're a We've great band. We've sold a lot of albums and we're really popular right now. So yeah, yeah, maybe. The resulting article was titled, Is This Man a Prat? <laughs> and had like pictures of Freddie making funny faces, which is hilarious to look at. <laughs> like pisses me off yet also is kind of hilarious. <laughs> From there, Queen became extremely reluctant to do interviews and viewed the press as their enemy going forward. Well, yeah. Which... Yeah, makes sense. And also, British press. Say no more. The summer of 1977, the boys were back into the studio to work on their next release. And you know who else was in the studio working on their album? EMI label mate, The Sex Pistols. Oh, boy. (laughs) One day, Sid Vicious wandered into Queen's studio and started harassing Freddie, asking him if he had succeeded in bringing ballet to the masses. Oh my god, fuck off. So Freddie, without pause, walked up to Sid, called him something along the lines of Simon Ferocious and yes, we're doing the best we bloody can, <laughs> before grabbing him by his collar and pushing him out of the room. And everyone was floored by this because everybody in the studio is like, you don't treat Sid Vicious like that. And Freddie's like, I do whatever the fuck I want because you I'm Freddie fucking Sid Mercury. Sid Vicious however the fuck you want. I would have done the same fucking thing. Oh, God. And I was like, yes, I love you, Freddie Mercury. <laughs> he should have turned to everybody and said, is this man a Pratt? <laughs> he was, though. He is a Pratt. Like, a hot take. Sid Vicious wasn't talented or cool. He I'm was just sorry. a fucking alcoholic drug addict. None of who the... couldn't actually play his fucking instrument. None of them could. None of them could. <laughs> None of them could. <laughs> Am I taking crazy pills? I'm sorry, but the Sex Pistols are not a good band. Along the lines of the Flaming Lips, everybody thinks they're fucking great because everybody thinks that they started punk. I don't think that they started punk. We will have this conversation soon. 
slight teaser, we will have this conversation soon. I'm on Freddie's side. Always. Hey, Ashley, I have news for you. What? News of the world! Ah! (laughs) This is a scary fucking cover. It's terrifying when you're a kid. (laughs) Family Guy had it right. They did, though. Seth MacFarlane actually made that because when he was a kid, he was scared of the cover. I feel Seth MacFarlane on that one. (laughs) In defiance of all the critics, Queen once again had a hit record on their hands. It had gone four times platinum in the U.S., and sold 10 million copies worldwide, making it their best-selling record to date. Huh. Right? Because, and I will tell you why, the main tracks you would know from this album are the sports-centered favorites We Will Rock You and We Are the Champions. Mm-hmm. Brian wrote We Will Rock You to give the fans something to do with shows, which was kind of unheard of because back then people didn't go to your concerts and sing along. But one night after their encore, the crowd didn't just clap, but they sang You'll Never Walk Alone to the band and they were so touched by this that they wanted to give them a unifying anthem for queen shows oh that's that's so cute makes right? rock cry right and freddie wrote we are the champions to accompany brian's song and as you are probably more than well aware these might be queen's most popular songs as they are played at every sport event mm-hmm. ever so between the onset of the punk movement and queen's own trajectory News of the world is stripped down from Queen's usual prog rock, pomp, and circumstance. We also see more from Roger and John, both contributing two songs as opposed to the usual one. So meaning like Freddie and Brian stepped back a little bit to let those guys have a little bit more to say. Roger's sheer heart attack was only half finished when the album of the same name came out. But the delay gave him a chance to have a little fun with it and use it to, you know, take a jab at the punk movement with lines like, I'm so inarticulate. An overall oh. show that Queen wasn't as self-indulgent oh as God. some might think. I love Roger. I love them all. Love them all. They're such sarcastic queens. And it's, it's great. Beautiful. The iconic and to some haunting cover of this album was done by the sci-fi artist Frank Kelly Fries, and is nearly a duplicate of the same painting they were inspired by that was on the cover of an issue of Outstanding Science Fiction. Outstanding? <laughs> It's so British. It's outstanding science friction. I know I said friction instead of fiction. You need to tell me. I told you. (laughs) The biggest difference being that the robot wasn't holding some dead rando, but instead the members of Queen. And they're all bloody and shit. The only one I could ever, like, definitively remember when picturing the cover of this album is Brian May because of the hair. Yeah. Well, it's Brian <laughs> and Freddie in the hands, and then John Deacon just started falling out, and Roger had fallen out way oh. onto the other side of it. First casualty. Roger was super dead by the time that happened. Yeah. Now, apparently in England, at least in those days, when you recorded an album in one of their studios, you were taxed an arm and a leg, depending on how well the record did. And Queen was kind of over giving them so much of their earnings. So because of this, they made the decision to make their next album in Montreal. And does this album have classic Queen bangers on it? Yeah. Yeah. This is like Queen's version of Miley Cyrus's bangers, but it would just be Queen's bangers. But like way better. Oh, and way better. Also better. Also way better. Occurring while they were recording was the Tour de France in Nice. And Freddie was so taken with it that he was inspired to write the song Bicycle Bicycle. Race 
bicycle. <laughs> yes, this song is well known for being a total non sequitur of rock music, but it's also a risque video. Mm-hmm. It has 65 female models bicycle bicycle racing around Wimbledon Greyhound Stadium in the nude. Which wait, makes th- me th- really th- uncomfortable to look at because you're naked. That bike seat's going up your snatch. Don't tell me it's not. Wait, is this is this on News of the World? No, this, this is, is their next album, Jazz. Jazz. Okay, okay. Sorry, yeah. they had ski- sorry, I skipped to their next album. <laughs> okay. And I didn't, was like, and didn't wait make a, a night I didn't make a good differentiance between that. So I'm sorry and I apologize. But also Jazz. in in the vinyl yes. at least. Well, Depending on what country you got your vinyl in. Yeah. There was a... Yep. There were photos taken for promotions. There's a fold-out poster. Of a naked lady on a bike. Oh, several oh, naked ladies There's a naked a lady on the bike that's on the back of the record. And then there is a fold-out of all of the naked all ladies. All the naked ladies. However, did not come out in the U.S., what they did for the U.S. was they put in, like, a little mailer, so if you wanted the poster, you would oh. have to mail in for it. <laughs> then, you know what? My dad must have mailed it in, because <laughs> I have the poster. Fully for you, Ashley's dad. <laughs> He's like, I want them naked ladies on bikes, which, yep. again, just makes you me know so what? uncomfortable. Have you been to a spin class? <laughs> I don't want that on the seat. No, even oh, just but they also, rented Al? when they, when they rented the bikes. I guess they were like, "Oh, we just want to rent them." And then when they found out what the the police found out what they're using, they're like, "No, you're fucking buying these." No, you're buying all these bikes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but I remember, I specifically remember being a small child, and Looking at that and, and being finding uncomfortable. that and being like, "Huh, that's not again." Have you been to a spin class? It's not fun yeah. to sit on a bicycle seat. Yeah, none of with those clothes on. None of those ladies look comfortable. Mm-mm. So I don't care how skinny your snatch is. That's not comfortable. No, it's not. And in their usual symbiotic nature, Brian fed off Freddie's creativity to write the song "Fat Bottom Girls." It's included as the B-side to Bicycle Race, and the two songs reference each other. Get Off Your Bikes and Ride sang in the former, and Fat Bottom Girls will be riding today in the latter. And included on this record is the number one happy good time jam of all time, Don't Stop Me Now. Yep. Seriously, it's scientifically proven to be the happiest song ever. Really? Yeah, like science. Science said yes. Science confirmed that shit. Science confirmed that shit. <laughs> so it's real. It's legit. I didn't just make that up. I mean, just it's it's a very infectious song. Yeah. As soon as you hear those few chords, don't stop me now. Yeah. I'm having such a good, good time. time. You know what? I am having a good time. I am having a ball. I'm having a ball. Yeah. The finished product was released November of 78 and called Jazz. I just want to shake my hands. And called Jazz. (laughs) (laughs) And they showed no signs of stopping when they hosted the release party in New Orleans on Halloween. I would have loved to have been there. That pinnacle of my life. I could have died the next day and be fine. You might have died the next day. Could have. This was an event (laughs) that hedonist bot could only dream of. (laughs) Shout out to you, Futurama fans. Yeah. Entertainment consisted of female mud wrestling, 
exotic dancers, drag performers, street performers, and most notably, a little person hired to lay camouflaged under the food on one table, and when the guests went over to grab something, he would shake and scare the holy hell out of them. I mean, slightly questionable. Yeah, I mean, seven... I'm not trying to forgive it, but 70s... I don't want to give it that. Well, it was just the time. I mean, it's not okay. But also, it was the time. They paid him? (laughs) He said okay? He said consent? (sighs) I don't know. I'm trying. Uh, Well, it's better... Some people were... So, so there's a lot of controversy about this party. Because... Some people said, oh, they had dwarves walking around with cocaine bowls on their head. And, and then other people were like, that didn't fucking happen. <laughs> like the roadie whose book I'm listening to, he's like, that didn't fucking happen. And I feel like if anybody's going to spill some shit like that, it the would be roadie. the roadie. The roadie would say if it happened or not. And roadies are sometimes prone to exaggerating. So the fact that he de-exaggerated the makes me believe him. Right. So yeah. I don't think that, I think it was, Roger says he was on the meats table and would wiggle when people came to grab some meats. He was full of cold cuts. <laughs> he was a little person full of cold cuts. <laughs> I mean, they couldn't even put the crudité on him. They probably put like maybe some mustard and ketchup on the nips. I don't know. <laughs> some cocktail wieners oh. in a very strategic place. Well, yeah. Where else are you going to put them? Yeah. Clearly, There's his stomach. <laughs> the belly button. The belly button. Yeah. Boop. <laughs> and when they get interviewed for it, the band members will always be like, you know, they say this happened. It might have. I don't really remember. <laughs> Apparently, they I had a press a lot co- of coke. Apparently- <laughs> it came from a bowl. I don't know where the bowl was. <laughs> I don't know where the bowl is. It just showed up. Apparently, they had a press conference the next day, and they all had to ask the press to please be quieter and stop shouting. <laughs> They were so fucking wrecked. <laughs> like, God, if there was a party I could ever go to, it's this one. That should be, like, our goal in life. Again, abuse the time machine. Oh, have a queen party? Have a queen party. Exactly like that. But with but without the little not, people. Without no the little, little people. people. I know, but I'm all no. for, like, the mod wrestlers and the drag performers. Like, let's get that in there. Yeah, and also not the coke. I, yeah, I, I don't, don't need, want the I don't think I should do coke. Nobody needs the coke. Alcohol's fine. Yeah. Pot, sure. Yeah, pot and, you know, if somebody wants, like, like a little pot acid or shrooms, like, not for us, but, like, if somebody wants be, to bring it, you can do it you. It can be our queen pot and booze party. I really want to do that now. Goals. Hashtag goals. <laughs> when we get real big, guys, if we get really big, we'll have a sweet podcast party that's this level. Because so everyone that us. does podcasts gets so big. <laughs> you want to you wanna make some quick money. <laughs> you want to lose some quick money. Yes. There you go. go. <laughs> as far as the reception for jazz... Well, fans of the of Queen were more than ready to support them and buy their music, keeping them high in the charts. But the critics? Well, they really had no love for Queen. Rolling Stone magazine notably found the album to be more elitist pastiche, found Fat Bottom Girls to be offensive, and called them the first truly fascist band. This was all in Rolling Stone. Truly fascist? Rolling Stone. Rolling Stone is calling Queen fascist? Fascist? Yep. I, I think you lost your eyeballs. I can't see my anymore. eyeballs are just you permanently just like in the Undertaker back of my head. Now. Yes. <laughs> of course, now they've come around to eat those words. 
putting jazz on their 10 classic albums initially panned list. Ugh. Initially is- panned by us, and now we're backtracking. Oh, got a flip-flop. Because now they're classic. Fuck off, Fuck Rolling. off, Rolling Stone. You don't know shit. I mean, because this has gone on to be one of Queen's most satisfying albums. Yeah. 1978 saw the end of a relationship for Queen when they decided to split from their manager, John Reed. It was perfectly amicable, but the band at this point liked taking everything on themselves. They were all quite particular, so it seemed to kind of just work out to have their lawyer, Jim Beach, take over management duties, and it really gave them more freedom to just do what they wanted, and they Mm -hmm. didn't have to answer to somebody telling them, you have to do this. Understandable. But I do want to mention that while there were no hard feelings... Um, in watching interviews, I've seen Brian says he did feel that Reed focused a bit more on Freddie than the rest of the group. I will note John Reed was also gay. Mm-hmm. So I think that they just had a bond. Yeah. And maybe just they saw that and were like, oh. But Roger says that Reed was probably worn thin by also managing Elton John, who felt Queen was already really successful and didn't need as much attention as he did. I mean, they're kind of like, they're two behemoths. Mm. Also, wait, Elton John thought that Queen was big enough and didn't need the attention he did? I mean, that's just what I interpreted from Roger's explanation of what happened. I don't know if that's exactly how Elton John felt. Don't come I mean, for me, Elton John, because I'm, t- I'm sure you're listening to this. But also, I I really don't know the trajectory of Elton John's career. So we'll I don't, get there someday. I don't really know where he was at this point in the late 70s. I think he was rather successful. At this I point. imagine he was still pretty successful. Yeah. And I he think was, the 70s were pretty big for him, but he was also going through a lot of shit. Yeah. But that's for another episode. But he was pretty successful, at least until the early to mid 80s. And then. I just always felt like he was successful probably until the 90s. He, he had a break until the fucking Lion King? I don't know. I don't know. know. I don't know. This isn't an Elton John episode, no, it's guys. Not. It's a Queen episode. <laughs> Throughout 78 and 79, Queen toured. It's a pretty basic formula here, people. They make an album. Then they they tour. Then they they take naps. (laughs) Then they go back and do it all again for the next album. Yeah. It's, 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 at this point, if you guys haven't caught on, I don't know what to tell you. But this time around, things shook out a little differently than usual because they split recording their time in two. Four songs, Crazy Little Thing Called Love, Sail Away, Sweet Sister, Coming Soon, and Save Me were recorded in the summer of 79, and the other tracks weren't done until the following spring in 1980. The final product was The Game, which was released in June 1980. Mm -hmm. For a recording studio, they went with Musicland in Munich, owned by Giorgio Morder, who you should remember from our episode on Daft Punk. He was really, he was like king of the disco scene, worked with Donna Summer. Daft Punk were heavily influenced by him. So bringing it in. Bringing it in. Connecting things. From the bits and pieces of Queen's personal life that have kind of come out, it seems like this was a really rough time on some of them. Freddie absolutely fell in love with Munich. One could argue the fun gay scene played a big factor in this. And this is also when he grew out his iconic mustache that was very much the look of gay men at the time. I'm feeling him on that because Munich is a really cool city. Well, Brian absolutely hated Munich. Well, I'm sorry, Brian. I am with Freddie on this. He found it to be cold, dark, and depressing. And it does make me wonder if that's why Freddie wrote the highly uncomfortable Don't Try Suicide. Maybe. 
That song. Listening to it now. <laughs> Oof. Ill-advised, Freddy. I think you were coming from a good place, but it does not read. It does not read. Maybe it read in 1980. I don't Maybe. know. But Brian really hated it. And, and the band overall seemed to be having just a lot of personal issues beginning at this time. Mm-hmm. I mean, overall, the band seemed not to spend all that much time together in Munich and there was, again, generally tense vibes going around. And it seems like everyone may have had their own possibly not super healthy way of dealing with the stress. Well, 1980. I mean, as far as I can tell, Queen wasn't a big drug band. I'm sure they all at least did coke a couple times because the 70s and 80s, I'm sorry, you did coke. Yeah, if you were in a big band in the 70s and 80s. You did 80s, coke. You did coke. Freddie seemed to enjoy cocaine I from what I've gathered. But he's also was a party guy. Like, when you go out to party in the 80s, you go to a disco, you're going to have a couple bumps. Yeah. It's just what you do. Nobody really thought about it. Mm-hmm. But they were definitely a big alcohol band. Mm-hmm. John Deacon actually had a bar backstage right next to where he would go off stage between sets and, like, have a drink. Oh, my God. Yeah. John Deacon, party animal. Things you don't realize. <laughs> John Deacon? Alcoholic. Quiet man on stage. <laughs> alcoholic backstage. <laughs> And it was around this time that Paul Pretner becomes Freddie's assistant and lover mm-hmm. and really enters the picture. I know I said I wasn't going to talk about the film, but I've been doing a lot apparently because I'm an asshole. But I think a lot of people do reference what they know about things about Queen from the film. And I'd like to differentiate. He's really painted as the like evil, maniacal villain in the film. Was he? Okay. I'm. He I, was not Littlefinger. He was the other one. He was Downton Abbey guy. He was Downton Abbey he guy. He was Tom on Downton yes. Abbey. Yes. And both him and the guy who played Littlefinger look very stupid <laughs> in Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, it's not, I don't buy Littlefinger's John Reed, but whatever. It's not just that it's a stark transition from whatever show they were on to Bohemian Rhapsody. It's just that they look stupid in this movie. I'm sorry, they just look stupid. They just they just didn't do their best. Costuming was not their friend. No. Not at all. Neither was the hair department. But maybe they just don't look good in the 70s. I mean, that too. But I feel like Tom from Downton Abbey, I forgot his real name. It doesn't matter. I've never seen Downton Abbey, but I believe you. He he I think he could with the right clothes could be very 70s groovy. Um little finger. No. Oh, no. No. No, no, no. No. He is either medieval times or modern times. One or the other, no in between these. No 70s for you little no finger. No 70s for you little finger. Fucking I can't remember like little finger's real name. Anyway, Aiden but, Glenn. Oh. So Alan Leach. There you go. You That's did it. That's the Downton Abbey guy's you totally name. pulled it off. I done did it. Proud of you. They really paint Paul Prentner as this total villain, this huge fucking influence. Like, he was manipulating Freddy. Here's the thing. Freddy was his own person. He didn't need to be encouraged. And a lot of people said that, too. He didn't need encouragement. He wanted to go out and, like, live this extravagant yeah. life. Even though he does have his quiet nature and introvertedness. He still liked being around people. Freddie really needed people. I mean... He was a really bizarre mix of an introvert and an extrovert. He needed to be around people, but he didn't always need to, like, be up front and center with everyone. I feel that. 
Right. I can relate to that. Right. Because, like, I like to be in my crowd, out, do things, whatever, but... I also need my alone time. Mm. I also need my time to reset. Right. You and know? Freddie's very much that person. And yeah, Paul was kind of a... I think Paul was just a fucking asshole. I think he was taking advantage of the situation he was in. But I don't think he was necessarily putting Freddie in positions that he wouldn't have maybe put himself in anyway. I don't think he was manipulating No, him. I don't think he was either. Which the He the wasn't movie... a good... He was a bad friend. Yeah, I think... He's the... like that friend... He's that toxic friend that you need to fucking get rid of. He's the one where, like, everybody in the room thinks he's hilarious and great and wonderful and you're just in the back screaming, No, he's well, shit! And that's the band. <laughs> Brian, Roger, yeah. and John did not like him. And they're like, who the fuck is this prat? And they can't make him go away. And they can't make him go away. So they... That, that added some tension to the band, I'm definitely. sure it did. Unfortunately. So back to the album, Crazy Little Thing Called Love was a huge hit and became their first number one single in the U.S. because we're basic. That's really their most basic single yeah. that they've ever released. I mean, it's released. fine, but it's actually one of my least favorite Queen songs. I mean... It's it, an ode to Elvis and they loved Elvis, but... Uh, meh, meh, meh. Currently, a v- two very terrible and generic covers are on... Some commercials <laughs> that you may have seen if you get the non-commercial free Hulu. Hulu, and you're probably as sick of them as I am. Yep. Holy oh, yeah. shit, are they bad. Oh, yeah. But that just tells you how generic of a song this was for yeah. Queen, that this can be on a commercial currently, um, an even more generic cover of this song can be on a commercial for a fucking exercise bike. Yep. No. Terrible. Thinking about it it makes me mad. It's not objectively a horrible song. It's just not their best. And it has a really cute backstory. Freddie started writing it while he was in the bath, actually. And the way Peter Hintz, the roadie in the book that I'm listening to, tells the story, he was actually in the room when Freddie's like, because Peter Hintz's nickname was Ratty. Because he kind of looks radish, Aww. apparently. Ew. I, I mean, I don't think he's like, attractively. Aww, ew. I don't know. Anyways, the point being, he's like, Ratty, Ratty, come here. Bring me my guitar. I need to play this song. And so he started writing Crazy Little Thing Called Love. Immediately went to the studio to lay down a track. Roger and John were there. <laughs> and they all laid it down together. getting out of the tub and immediately. Covered in bubbles. Covered in bubbles, walking over and just like naked, do, covered do, in do, bubbles. Do, 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 do. <laughs> And so he goes to the studio, Roger and John help him lay down the track. Brian wasn't there, thankfully, because everyone said that's a total blessing because he would have hated the song. Oh, oh he would have hated and it. And he would have hated that they laid it down in like just like a take or two. Like Brian is the meticulous. He's the he's where they're he's where a lot of that like, nope, we need to do it again. Nope, that's not right. Hold on. Yeah. Like, Freddie, they were all like that, but, like, Brian was very perfectionist. Whereas everybody else was meticulous, he was OCD. Yes, that's it. And I think they all knew that this song was just a fun time, and they didn't want to take it seriously. Yeah. And they knew if Brian had his hands on it, it would have not been the same song. But another one bites the dust was the real single to get them a lot of attention, Mm -hmm. and from an unpredictable place. On tour in L.A., they met up with Michael Jackson, who told them what a sweet jam this song is and that they should release it. Not to contradict the king of pop, they did as he suggested, and it only benefited them. 
This song got them noticed by the African-American audience for the time. For a really good fucking beat. Yeah. A lot of people were like, are they like, and quote unquote, are they a black band? And if they haven't heard him before, they were like, they were convinced they were. So yeah. I'm sure they bought the game. <laughs> they bought the game. Like, oh, wait. Oh, 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 mm. they're very white. Oh, well, I mean, technically, Freddy's white Indian. White boys. So, technically, Freddy's Indian. He's very true, pale, true, true, but true. he's Indian. And actually, the song was written by John, who was inspired by the song Good Times by Sheik. Good times. <laughs> good times i only know the word good times i'm sorry is it we are the good times i don't Um, know we are now yeah i've had too many bears yeah you're on like four i'm not even mad i'm impressed holy they're like they're like half beers though i guess whatever i don't care well john actually played most of the instruments on the recording as well Except Roger did backing tracks, and Brian threw in some guitar noises, and vocals, of course, were Freddie. Just noises. Just noises. And Freddie's vocals, he worked so hard that he nearly made his vocal cords bleed. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, if you no, listen to, like, that. the way he sings it, it's raw. Honestly, it's though, if Freddie was still going now, he would have blown his voice out long ago. I, don't wanna, I just don't want to think about if Freddie was still... Don't ever start a sentence with if Freddie was still if around, because I'm around. just going to cry and <laughs> want to just die. It's fine. It was on this album that, for the first time, they couldn't use the no synthesizers disclaimer that they had been so fond of up until this point. And after seven studio albums, they finally had one that was just simple. Up in center photo of the band... A very different look than what people were used to. Black and white with the cla- with the band clad in leather jackets. They were just being real cool guys. Yeah, real cool. And I mean, if you see from our teaser photo, yeah, it looks a lot different. Yeah. Than what I think people were used to with Queen. They were tough. Because leather jackets mean you're tough. I'm tough. Like its album, the game tour saw some impressive accomplishments as well. Queen toured South America and were in fact the first band to do a stadium tour in Latin America. And they didn't even realize it, but they were already a big deal there and performed to record-breaking crowds. They were kind of nervous. They're like, they don't, we don't know their language. They don't know our language. Like, is it going to translate? Burr, 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 which I thought yeah, was we a book, weird thing. Like, we book all these arenas. Are people actually going to come out yeah, to them? Yeah, because it wasn't just like their normal tours where sometimes they might do a smaller place. It was just all stadiums. Yeah. Because, of course, soccer is huge there. Right. Soccer stadiums for days. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, they already have the stadium, Mm -hmm. so. South America was a pretty hot and cold experience. They were overwhelmed by the love of their Latin fans. However, South America can be a dangerous place, especially in the 80s. Lots of protesting, lots of military presence. There was a lot of political stuff going on at the time and yes of course there still is and it still has its Mm -hmm. dangerous spots but i think because queen was the first band to really do a tour like this they were exposing themselves to dangers that no one really could have thought of yeah because no one else had done this before at some points you know the band was understandably stressed out the tour took a lot out of them especially at this point in puebla mexico That became an infamous performance for Queen, as the crowd was pretty unruly and drunkenly pelted the stage with any items they could find. And so frustrated by the end of the show, Freddie just shouted, Adios amigos, you motherfuckers! (laughs) And walked off stage. 
they were supposed to do like three nights and they're like, we're not, that was the first night. And they're uh-huh. like, we're not going to do any more nights. Fuck this. We're not doing this. We're leaving. And they basically were told like, I mean, yeah, I guess you could leave, but are you going to get home safe? Your stuff certainly probably won't. Maybe you should at least do one more night. Whoa. Like, I think they were underhandedly threatened to kind of just stay and at least do one more night. Yeah. But at that point, they're like, you need to fucking up security. You need to make sure people don't bring... Like, people were bringing in tape recorders to record the concert. When their tape ran out or the batteries died, they would take the batteries out of the recorder and throw it at the stage. Yeah, no, fuck that. Yeah, like, they were being really shitty. Big-ass battery. You want to know why? Because they were drunk on tequila. They're not... It's not like they're throwing triple A's up there. Yeah, it's no fucking Dos Equis. This is tequila. (laughs) You don't fucking get drunk on tequila. You turn into a shithead. Yeah. Let it be known that if you're drunk on tequila... You're not going to be a bit good person. You're going to be a bad person. And going back, backtracking just a slight bit. One of the things that slowed production on the game album was that at the same time, they were working on another big project. The soundtrack to the film, Flash Gordon. Flash! Ah! <laughs> Save every one of us! <laughs> when Queen was approached by producer Dino De Laurentiis. De Lauren Laurentiis. De Laurentiis. That's Davorentis. <laughs> they couldn't be more excited. <laughs> Brian especially. It was a big reason why he was in and out of the sessions for the game so much. Also, he hated Munich. The band was shown scenes of the film and they loved what they saw. Each member worked on his own part and they put it together when they saw the producers again for the next time. Turns out Dino actually hated the score. And it wasn't at all what he pictured for the film. Really? Yep. Oh, no. However, by that point, the film was apparently so off the rails that it was honestly the least of his problems. <laughs> I didn't know this. The guy they cast as Flash Gordon was just some guy from the dating game. Really? Yup. And it was just a mess. Like, he was like, wait, what do you mean this guy can't act? <laughs> I mean, if you've seen Flash, you know it is a fucking cheese fest. Oh, yeah. It's delightful. Yeah. But- and I don't care. Like, Flash Gordon's a great soundtrack. The soundtrack is fantastic. Like, However- if you want to laugh, watch Flash Gordon. However, like, why? But you know what? Still, Flash Gordon was a box office success. Yeah. And is now known as a prime camp cinema. Mm-hmm. Again, if you want a good laugh, watch Flash Gordon. Maybe, like, drink a little, smoke a little, do what you gotta do, watch the Flash Gordon. It's fucking great. The soundtrack did well, too. It reached number 10 in the UK and number 23 in the US, which I was like, not bad, considering it only had two songs with lyrics and every track utilizes audio from the film. Yeah. So, good on you guys. It's a good, you know what, whatever, Flash is a great song. It's it's a really fun song. It's a really fun <laughs> song. Like, great fucking song. Now I kind of want to You can sing Flash along to it. Whatever. You mean you can sing Flash? Ah! <laughs> the dawn of the 80s were overall treating Queen, well, like Queens. Yeah. yeah. They're still going. They're still going. They're still, still going doing well. Things are really good. And even though the press didn't like them very much, their fans were loyal and the band really couldn't seem to do any wrong. Mm-hmm. Even their missteps were taken in stride. And now they were to embark on a new decade that, unbeknownst to them, would see all of the excesses and stresses of their lifestyle finally reach a boiling point. 
You mean the 80s? Do that to a band? <laughs> no! <laughs> this this doesn't sound familiar at all. No, I know this might be hard to believe, but the 80s were a little rough on Queen. I mean, the 80s might have fucked some people, like, real hard, straight up the butt. But... <laughs> Queen? No. no. A band that had a crazy New Orleans party for when they had their release of their album With and don't remember cut it? covered little people? No. no. This isn't going to catch up to them. Not at all. Like tensions boiling underneath the skin of every band member? It's fine. It's fine. Everything's going to be just fine. I'm sure the 80s won't do anything. This is fine. It's going to be the hardest years of their lives. But it's also going to be the most rewarding. But I'm going to save that for you in our conclusion of the story of Queen oh, next bam. week. Mic drop. Well, paper drop. Paper drop. Paper drop. <laughs> Note drop. Don't drop these mics. We spent money on these. <laughs> That's our money. So next week, we'll finish it up. I told you guys it's going to be a long one because I can't shut the fuck up about Queen. <laughs> I will talk about them for days. I mean, we both could, but... You know the facts. I'm learning. Well, I have learned them and I've relearned them. I'm just like, yeah. 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 No, man, it's it's making me fall in love with the band all over again. It's such a fucking, like, it's a fucking epic tale. Their music is epic and their story is epic. It's like they go through all of this crazy shit. Can you imagine having that kind of life? I'd be really tired. Yeah. I know I go at an 11 most times, but even <laughs> I'd get tired. Yeah, there's only so much adrenaline my body can produce. Right? They went they went balls out. Thank you. Mm-hmm. They were thinking a lot of balls out for a while. Well, so. especially Freddie. Yeah. And if fan art is to be at all said of anything, Brian and Brian and Roger apparently thinking balls out a lot. Yeah. In the fan art world. <laughs> oh. Oh, you need to show that to me. Yes, I after this I am definitely gonna show you some fantastic queen like Pinterest but, is filled with great fan but art. But do they always draw them like seventies, Brian and Roger? They draw Roger as uh I want to break free Roger a lot. <laughs> when he's in that schoolgirl <laughs> outfit dressed in drag. Yes. It's it's pretty fucking choice. I'm, I am not gonna lie. I am here for oh, it. As you should be. I mean I gotta say, Roger aged very well. He really did. He aged, you know what? Brian he aged is, well, too. He is a fine wine. Oh, he is a fine wine. Um, mm. He looks delicious and in all decades. Yeah. You know what? Good for you, Roger. Good for you. I'm here for it. If I had daddy issues, I would be all about you right now. <laughs> I know. Sometimes I look at older men. I'm like, God, I wish I had daddy Thank- issues. Thankfully, I do not. <laughs> but maybe that would make it easier. I don't, right. know. I, don't, I, don't I don't know. I don't know. Well, you might find out if you tune in next week <laughs> to see if Roger ha- to see if Roger likes ladies with daddy issues. <laughs> I will try to find that. Answers probably. Yeah. Yeah, I think most men like women with daddy issues though. They're at least cool right, with it. You know what? They're at least cool with right it. Right into us if I am wrong. <laughs> I mean, it, I don't know if they actively seek them out. But if they find them, but if are they you find like, out, they're like, like, score, she's got daddy issues. May, like, maybe if you're an older guy. Maybe. And, like, you like younger ladies. Maybe. I don't like, know. But do you have daddy issues? Yeah. 
It's yeah. Just, it's All right, fun. we can do this. Can we work with this? Do you write it in your like OK Cupid profile? <laughs> yes, Daddy issues. <laughs> Message me if you have Daddy issues. Also, is OK Cupid still a thing? It is. Oh, it is. Huh. I just know about Bumblebee and too many fish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, plenty of fish is awful. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just I was, know they exist. It was. I was on it for a total of three days. I got so many messages. I couldn't deal with it. You're like, I thought this was plenty of fish. Too many fish. It was <laughs> too many fish. It was too many fish. I, was I right. couldn't. I, I three was days. Right. Three days, and that was it. I could not. Well, you know what you can do. Fucking follow us on social media. <laughs> Let's wrap this shit up, kids. I'm sure you guys are ready to go do whatever else you got to do with your day because we're all busy people here. Well, we're not, but you might be. Yeah. But follow us on so- social, social media medias. and also leave us a fucking review. Yeah. Like go on the iTunes or our Facebook even, or I don't know where else you can leave it. I Google. Stitcher, Google. Maybe Spotify. Review us. Leave us stars. Tell people. Leave us hey, stars. This place, <laughs> this place is great. We have great stories. <laughs> Fucking listen. And then also follow us on Twitter at Rock Candy Pod, Instagram and Facebook at Rock Candy Podcast. And always there's our website, www.rockcandypodcast.com. I don't know why I felt the need to sing that, but it worked. Three beers. Sure. Three beers will do that to me. Makes me sing my songs. All right. So tune next week. For more crazy stories. Continuance of Queen. Continuance of Queen. The conclusion. Get ready for me to fucking cry. Oh, don't. I'm gonna. I cannot drink as much beer as I did tonight. No, you cannot. Because I will start bawling my eyes out with you. Oh, my God. All right. And with that, party on, Ashley. Party on. Balls out. Balls out. Thank you. Thank you.